Hello kids, welcome to Monster Chiller Horror Theater. Today we're going to listen to The Talking Dead episode 346. It's the feedback episode for monsters. Ooh, you know it's going to be a scary one, maybe even in 3D. I'll tell you what's scary if I was one of the riders of The Walking Dead. Ooh, Count Floyd would be very scared because they lost 9 million viewers. Now that's a, that's a scary thing to just 9 million people to be gone. Ow! Heads will roll. Well, let's sit back and listen to Chris and Jason as they do episode 346. Feedback for the Monsters episode. Ow! Ow! In 3D. Here we go, kids. is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 346, recorded Thursday, November 9th, 2017. It sure is. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the show, Jason. How's it going this week? Uh, it is going adequate, Christopher. How is it with you? It is going all right. Thank you very much to listener Ken, friend of the show, Ken, for that intro. It's a little a little Halloween-y, and we're, we're a week past Halloween here, but that's okay. We're still eating Halloween candy in our house. How about your house? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I've been collecting my Halloween tax from the kids every day. That's good. We bought uh, post-Halloween con- candy in the uh, the cheap form uh, since it's all on sale after Halloween, and now that's what we're eating. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, totally. It's well, we we bought it before, and the kids collected it all, and I'm just eating theirs. There you go. Good, good work. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the spirit of Halloween is still with us, my friend. It sure is. Uh, but that was a cool intro, Ken. Thank you. Uh, Ken does another podcast called Pop a pop culture podcast that Jason, you and I guessed it on, on their very first episode. So if you want to find out more about that, head over to poppodcast.blogspot.com and uh, you can listen to us or any of the other episodes he's got there. Cool, cool. All right. We are here to do our feedback show for uh, The Walking Dead Season 3, Season 8, Episode 3. But first, Jason, let's talk about how the ratings were for that episode a little bit. Just to recap briefly, we've, we had 11.44 million for episode one, uh, which was a big drop from last year and also pre other, uh, other season premieres. And then episode two was 8.92 million and episode three had 8.52. So down a little bit again, but if you believe deadline, they claim that is holding steady. So it's not a big enough change to consider it a massive drop and obviously not a positive change of, of going up either. 
It's probably within the margin of error for that, you know, that big a number. It's probably within the margin of error. I remember uh, in university physics and uh, chemistry ha being able to calculate the margin of error, but I have no memory of how to do that now. <laughs> right. Well, you, you could be right about that. Like it's less than half a million people. So yeah. who knows what the margin of error might be for TV ratings, but it, it's, it's definitely lower but not significant enough for anyone to get into a panic other than potentially AMC executives who knows what they're doing in their boardrooms full of money right now. Right. You know, if you're looking, if you're uh, cashing out at the end of the night and you have your till and you add up all the receipts on the, the register and then you count the money in the actual till, you know, if the, if the, if the register says you, uh, you have $11.5 million in the till and the till actually comes up at $11.38 million, you know, you're just like, well, it's off by a little bit. So screw it. Just, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's it. It's a rounding error. Yeah. It's a rounding error. So yeah, you, you, you know, if your till is off by that amount. When you're in the millions, then uh, don't sweat the small stuff. I guess not, uh, but I bet you they do. Anyways, we'll have to see how the season goes on, if they can recover a little bit or if they're going to stay at this sort of eight point something million, view, uh, million viewers for the whole season. We'll see what happens. Before we get into the true feedback, though, I have an email here from Dan in Columbus, Ohio, that kind of relates to the ratings. And Dan writes, recently you were discussing the continued decline in people watching The Walking Dead. I personally know lots of people who used to watch the show, but have since dropped off, many during last season. I wonder if The Walking Dead is just no longer, quote, must-watch TV for people, uh, so they say it sucks. <laughs> for me personally, The Walking Dead is the only show I watch live. Everything else I try to stay current on by watching sometime that week or just binging on Netflix. Do you guys know many people who stopped watching? That is Dan's question. Well, I mean, over the course of the entire run of this show, my wife has stopped watching. She watched the first couple of seasons. Well, that's a, that's an early drop off, I would say. But what was her yeah. reason for stopping? She wasn't really interested in the first place, and she only watched it because we did the podcast, and her husband, uh, you know, regularly watched it. <laughs> her husband at the time, you mean? <laughs> yeah, her husband at the time. <laughs> right. Just happens to be the same husband as sure. she has at the time at the moment. Right. Good. Can you say it that way? You can't say it that way. Uh, but yeah. So I don't think she was ever really interested in the show. Okay. So she dropped off, but not for the reasons that uh, people lately maybe have been dropping off. My mom still watches. Well, that's good. You know, and those are, other than, you know, you and your wife, I don't really talk to anybody else about the show. So I don't know who watches it. Yeah. Your problem is you work at home, so you don't interact. No, with even other... when I work, you know, when I work in the office, the only person I ever really, it ever came up with was one guy, uh, that I work with, uh, who watched it on a regular basis and then started listening to the podcast and he even wrote in a few times. Oh, cool. Uh, but he hasn't written in lately, so maybe he doesn't watch it anymore. Yeah. Maybe he just doesn't listen to the podcast. I don't know. Well, my, my experience is that I, I do work with a number of people who know of the show, some of them who have watched it in the past and they, they seem, or they claim to still be interested in, but not one of them is up to date on the show. Um, some, at least one guy was really into season like one and two, but then early on became very dissatisfied with it, thinking that it was just stupid, totally unrealistic. And 
Um, he couldn't buy into any of the decisions the characters were making. Uh, so he dropped off very early. And then other people, you know, like I said, were, are sort of, yeah, I know I watch it on Netflix. So I'm always a year behind or, or I watched a few seasons and then I missed a season. And then I started the season after that and I didn't know what was going on. And so I work with many, I think, casual TV viewers, not too many hardcore TV people like you and I. (laughs) Um, so, so there, so there's that group who, you know, come and go a little bit, but nobody in my office currently, which is not a huge sample. I only work at, you know, with 10 or 12 people, but nobody there, um, I can say are regular watchers of the show. And in fact, the ones, the one guy who was at the beginning dropped off early. Yeah. I mean, in today's, you know, climate and uh, today's uh, technology, uh, losing interest in the show doesn't necessarily, like even uh, losing the interest in the show a little bit is enough to stop watching it live. Because it's just like, oh, I'll catch it on Netflix when it comes on, or mm-hmm. I'll catch it uh, when it's, uh, you know, on some other streaming service or at some other time. Mm-hmm. Like since the, the seasons come on eventually on Netflix, you know, there's no real hurry. You know, so even if even if the interest drops off just ever so slightly and you're still interested in watching the show, you just say, screw it, I'll binge watch it at some other point. Right, exactly. And, and uh, yeah, you don't you don't just stay current on it. You have to be very interested in a show to watch it live. Yeah, 100 percent. And Dan does ask, you know, do we uh, do we know people that watch it live or do we watch it live? Obviously, you and I basically do. I um, watched off of iTunes the next day. Yeah. And, and I do the same thing for my second viewing. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I think you're right there. And the, the other thing I should clarify is the ratings that we quote here are generally the live ratings. They also keep track of live plus three, which is all the people who watched it live plus the eyeballs that saw it in the next three days on streaming services and stuff like that. And I think they do live plus seven too. So they yeah. do add up. So the numbers that we quote here are generally the first night live viewers. So the actual number that, you know, they'd report at the end of the day or the end of the week would be higher. Um, but at least we're comparing apples to apples when we're looking at episode one, two, three, and, and so on. Yeah. And I mean, they got to be making some pretty good coin off of net, uh, not Netflix, but uh, uh, off of iTunes. Because, uh, you know, if I watched it live, are my eyeballs on that live screen worth the $3.49 Canadian that I pay for each and every episode? Uh, you know, they I pay for that money to I, uh, iTunes and iTunes takes their ungodly whatever percentage. And then the rest goes to uh, the producers of the television show or AMC in this case. So what, they get three bucks maybe off of, uh, off of me? Uh, when I watch it on iTunes, it's like, is really, they're probably making uh, a shitload more money off iTunes for having one set of eyeballs on it than they are from that same set of eyeballs watching live on their television channel. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, who knows what advertising costs and and stuff like that for the It's for not the three bucks broadcast. a person, I can tell you that. No, I'm sure it's probably not that much, but I bet <laughs> you it's not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I'd be interested. I, I don't know if that kind of information about... Apple's cut of TV sales on iTunes is public, but if it is, I'd like to know, or if there's any insiders listening, you know, slip us some information. That'd be great. I think it's 30%. I don't know where I'm pulling that number from, but I think Apple takes 30%. Well, I know the the percentage that developers get for developing for the iOS platform is public, but I don't know if TV sales and movie sale percentage is public. I'm not sure. They're probably pretty individualistic to the show, right? 
And who knows, Apple could have different deals with different studios. You'd think they'd probably want to standardize it, but I don't really know. No, they want to, you know, get as much money out of everybody as they possibly can. Well, I suppose. Including me and you and yeah. AMC. Yeah, why not? They, they're certainly not short on cash, that company, but maybe that's why. No, probably not. All right. Thank you, Dan, for writing in. Let's jump into the listener feedback, Jason. Cool. Listener feedback. Alrighty, our first uh, email here comes from Paul in not so rainy, but just a bit chilly England. And Paul writes, regarding Rick and Daryl being in the same location as Team Aaron, I do believe that they the show told us this quite clearly in episode two, because the guards that Rick and Daryl kill actually speak to the woman who is in charge of the compound right after the attack begins. The guards hear gunfire. They radio in to ask if they should help. She tells them to stay there, uh, stay where they are. And then we see their brains explode onto the glass and Rick and Daryl enter the building, therefore placing both of these teams at different sides of the same location. Mystery solved? Well, shit, Paul, you're smarter than Chris or myself. Well, I guess so. Yeah, I just didn't make the connection to her talking on the radio to people to being those guys. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was supposed to be more obvious, but uh, obviously it was not, but it does make some sense. And I think maybe you and I are watching the TV show too hard. You think I so? I think maybe we need to uh, to chill out a little bit. Well, I'm, Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's, we're, too, it's too, <laughs> we're watching it too hard. I'm sure there are people out there that think that, uh, and I, I hear from them <laughs> once in a while. Right. Uh, but maybe, I mean, sometimes, you know, I would, I have been known to overthink things. And yeah, maybe, maybe remember when you saw the dark night when, uh, in IMAX? Well, that was, that was more a problem of being overhyped about well, exactly. it. Well, it wasn't overhyped. It was, you were too excited right. to enjoy it. I was too excited to even pay attention to the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've had the same problem with episodes of the West Wing when they first came on. I was too excited. I couldn't enjoy the show. Right. And that, 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 I love does, that, show. that does happen to me with Walking Dead sometimes. Like I, I must admit, I really look forward to watching it every week. And I really, really want to love it. And I don't always, and sometimes I do, but I do almost universally get more out of it when I watch it a second time than the first time through. And the second time I watch through is usually when I'm actually making notes for the podcast. And so I'm watching and typing things up at the same time. Whereas the first time I watch, I'm just sitting there staring at the TV, watching it like anybody else would. Yeah, but you're thinking about stuff, right? Well, like you can't I can't stop thinking. I can't. Well, I think maybe we'll enjoy, well, we'll be better at watching the show next year uh, once marijuana becomes legal in Canada in July. We're going to talk about this again. I <laughs> I have, I really don't think that'll have any effect on my watching of the show. <laughs> no, me neither, but at least it'll be legal in Canada. It maybe will. that'll have an effect on us uh, by proxy. I have no idea. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it'll have anything to do. I don't think that'll have any effect on my life in general, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Until my kids get to be 17 and realize that it's legal. Oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyways, I'm glad that that actually was there in the show. And I'm convinced now, uh, I think the evidence is there that yeah. that this was the same location. I, I agree. All right. Next, we have a call from Paul. Hi, dates. It's Paul in London. I was just thinking about last week's episode and how... They seemingly made up the plan to take hostages on the fly with Jesus' input. Um, 
didn't seem like they have much of a plan for where to store the hostages once they'd actually taken them, or for much of a plan to get them to the hilltop. Tying them together with rope seemed ridiculous, and I don't know, what's their plan? They're going to lock these guys up, there's a lot of them. How are they going to keep them caged? I don't get it. Let me know your thoughts. Thanks, Paul. I meant to say before uh, we played that, that that's two Pauls in a row, one from England and one from London. I don't know for sure that it's not the same Paul. But I figure, I figure there's more than one guy named Paul in the UK. Well, there were two different topics, so I think we're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm not, I'll allow it, but it could be the same Paul for all we know. All right, Paul. Way to go. Um, so uh, Paul number two there. Uh, so he's talking about the plan to take everyone hostage and, and how it's kind of ridiculous and not very well thought through. I don't think it was thought through at all. I think. No, it's a clusterfuck for I sure. Think Jesus just decided halfway through the raid that you know what i don't feel good about shooting people with their hands up so we have to do something here and he he essentially vocalizes that when he gets back to the hilltop and he says to maggie you know we can't uh we can't just let them go because they'll kill us and we can't kill them because we're not those kind of people so we have to do something and i think he suggests just locking them all in trailers that they have and keeping them fed and sheltered some yeah fed somehow because there's a lot of them there that's is. a lot of food to come up with extra food to come up with every day it's it's not a, to mention trailer space it's a ton of extra food and and space uh and just you know the necessities of life i mean these people are going to have to use the bathroom and things oh, yeah, like that everybody poops right i've read, read that somewhere it's a book <laughs> yeah see <laughs> hey even the queen poops yeah, I don't like to think about that. <laughs> but everybody does, Jason. Anyways, like it's, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's, the whole thing is thought through very well. Tying them up with basically what looks like string was also kind of ridiculous. Oh yeah. There's a reason that police don't make handcuffs out of rope. Uh, or, or twine like they had or little string. Rope is stretchy. Mm-hmm. And when you get tied up with rope, uh, you can probably get yourself free eventually. Is that why they make them out of zip ties because plastic isn't so stretchy plastic isn't so stretchy but you can get out of plastic too yeah like plastic is really yeah it's the uh, it's the steel handcuffs that are uh, difficult to get out of gotcha unless you're some people some people can apply enough force to actually break them or oh really i oh, yeah i watched a youtube video of how to get out of um zip tie handcuffs yes, once zip tie handcuffs are not that tough to get out of i'm tempted to try it but it also kind of looks like it hurts so i'm not sure i'll zip tie you i might not next time you're over at my house i'll uh i got some well i don't have actually zip cuffs but i have some pretty hefty uh zip ties that we can use yeah as cuffs i, I do too i could get my wife to zip tie me right now but i don't think i oh, will yeah. okay <laughs> yeah usually you use rope but you know when your wife ties you up uh this time you just get her to use zip ties okay well i'll let you know how that goes okay um, so, you know, we'll have to see how this plan plays out. And if we just end up with a bunch of saviors and trailers standing around like sardines on a subway car, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of mixing metaphors there, my friend. Like sardines on a subway car. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of sardines. <laughs> that is, is super gross. Way more than anybody <laughs> needs. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on. Uh, we yeah. got another call from Gary and Another note here, I yep. stopped putting the locations with our calls because everyone introduces themselves generally. So 
This is Good from for them. this is from Gary, and it's a surprise where he's from. All right, I can't wait. Hi guys, this is Gary from Corby in the UK. Uh, just two questions: Why did um, Aaron not shed any tears whatsoever? Uh, he tried to cry, but there was just no tears. They could have sprayed water in his face. And um, what the hell did um, Daryl say after he shot that poor chap in the head uh, behind the tree? He just turned around, mumbled something, and walked off. We tried to do it on uh, subtitles, and um, that come up with nothing, really, just saying that they were taking us to Gavin's. Um, might be able to shed some light on it. Cheers, guys. Love the podcast. Thanks, Gary. Well, I think we'll talk about Aaron a little bit more later, but in, regarding what Daryl said after he shot the kid, it was that line was delivered very fast and very kind of mumbly, and it was hard to understand. But the subtitles on the episode were, which teams at Gavin's? So Daryl's just asking Rick, which of our teams went to Gavin's outpost? Oh, I heard that. Well, I thought it was, maybe there was something else that was mumbled. No, 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 that, that was the line. I couldn't understand it either without the subtitles on, to be fair. So I watched it. I turned them on, I watched it, and it's just Daryl asking which team is at Gavin's because that's where the guns are now. So I guess he figures they're going to need to uh, collect them. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I, I understood it, heard it, and didn't think it was a thing. So I just moved on with my life, you know? All right, well, good. But me and Gary had problems. So I'm, I'm just throwing it out there in case other people had problems too. Subtitles are the best. They are the best. In fact, I almost always turn them on for my second watch. Yeah. So it's also really handy to, uh, when you're watching TV with a sleeping baby, because if there's a baby sleeping that's nearby, you don't want to have the volume. Because a lot of times you have to ride the volume because the speaking is very quiet and then, then there's an explosion. Right. So uh, it's a lot better to just like turn everything down, put on the subtitles and everything's even Steven. That's good. There's also headphones for that. You can't hear the baby when you got headphones, right? The baby's in, well, where's the baby? How far away is the baby? Well, it depends on where I'm watching TV. If I'm in the basement, baby's all the way upstairs, can't hear the damn thing anyway. All right. That damn thing. <laughs> it's my son I'm talking about there. <laughs> my damn son. Uh, <laughs> but it all depends. Like usually if I were turning it down, the baby's real close, right? Right. So headphones, I guess would be okay, but I don't know. It seems a little weird. So subtitles. The way to go. Yeah, I, I agree. Mind. I just like them for, for the clarity of it all. If there's a line that's mumbled, you don't have to worry about it because it's right there in front of you. Yeah. My wife likes subtitles because uh, uh, she doesn't have to worry about riding the volume and uh, she watches a lot of foreign television with subtitles anyway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, English, French, Norwegian, Swedish, whatever. It's all the same to her with subtitles. Got it. Nice. Got it. All right, next, uh, moving on, we have a call from Pete from somewhere, I hope. G'day, Chris and Jason. This is Pete the Postie from Sydney, Australia. Just calling in about the last episode and just wondering if you guys noticed something that I did during Gregory's conversation with Maggie. Uh, Gregory said that it didn't really matter that he turned traitor on the group and spilled the beans on them because Negan knew everything already. How did Negan know everything already? Does he have a spy working for him? And if he does, who is the spy? Um, it was interesting that when Gregory mentioned the, this to Maggie, Enid was in the shot, just over her shoulder, watching on quietly. Could she be the spy, perhaps? And also, the weapons going missing from that compound just before Daryl and Rick got there to collect them. Could Dwight be a, a, a spy? Could he be working as a double agent against the group? Uh, in warfare, 
the most valuable weapon in a in you know in your arsenal is a double agent. He could be feeding them ultimately misinformation in the end that could backfire. Anyway, just wonder if you guys uh, notice that and what your thoughts are. Love the show. Thanks, Pete. What I like about Pete's call there is he proposes the theory that there's a spy. Yep. Proposes the fact that it's probably Enid as if we've never speculated that before. <laughs> I, I liked it too. Is that wry? That's that's a wry sense of humor? Am I using that right? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was very wry, which is nice. I liked it too. I believe it's Enid that's the spy. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Dwight. I think Dwight is on the up and up and Enid found out about the gun somehow and uh, sent a text message to, uh, to Negan. I don't know how she sent a text message, whether it was uh, smoke signals or like banging on a rock really loud so that the sound travels or she has a satellite phone. See, I, see, know. that's the problem with Enid being a spy. Like how is she getting her messages back to him unknown? I know she tends to like disappear and go out on her own. We saw that when she was living in Alexandria but I don't know that we've really seen that since she's moved into the hilltop with Maggie. Doesn't mean it's not happening, but it doesn't feel like it is anymore. Because she's up there on the wall, she's looking out, she's guarding, she's helping around the house, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm no longer on board that Enid is doing any spying of any kind, but I suppose anything is possible. She knows Morse code. She does? Well, I assume so. How else would she be giving information to, to well, Negan? This is, I, this is what I mean. It's pretty difficult for her to get information back without physically traveling there saying, hey, Negan, guess what? They're planning to attack all your outposts and steal your guns, so you better move them to the laser, laser beam. Okay. She knows Morse code and she's clicking on a laser beam aiming at a particular tree that has a, uh, a uh, you know, the first in line of many uh, monkey relay systems. You know, you train monkeys to sit there and to read laser dots and, and click a, another laser dot whenever they see a laser dot so that you can, you know, travel, uh, have the information travel from monkey to monkey to monkey to monkey. Enid to monkey to monkey to monkey to monkey to monkey to, to, uh, to Negan. Well, that's a lot of monkeys and... Uh... I, like I said, anything's possible except that. Yeah. And this show will eventually roll into Planet of the Apes. That's what I figure. Well, that's, a, that's okay. I'd be all right with that. Uh, next up, we have Anna in Wales who writes an email on a similar topic. And Anna says, I'm confused. Did Negan move the guns to Gavin's because he knew about the attack? Or was it just a coincidence? If he knew, is he on to Dwight? Or was Dwight just setting an elaborate trap to lure our heroes into a false sense of security with a few easy victories, only to slaughter them all at Gavin's? I hope we find out. Maybe the timeline is screwy and Negan knew because he tortured the plan details out of Gabriel in time to move the guns. Well, the moral of that story is don't tell Gabe anything. It, true, but I don't think that's even possible. And I know Anna says maybe the timeline is screwy, but think about it. They rolled up to Negan's place, shot up the place, didn't kill anybody. Gabe and Negan ended up in that trailer. And then everything else that's happened in episode two and three, my impression is it happened immediately following that attack. Like this has all been one operation that the team has, has undertaken, right? So yep. Father Gabe and Negan, as far as I know, are still stuck in that trailer at the time when... Um, uh, they realized that the guns had been moved to Gavin's location. Right. So they're ne pooping right now. 
So yeah, maybe they are <laughs> into their Everybody shitting poops. Pants. Uh, so I don't think Negan would have had any ability to give the order to move those guns. It would have had to have happened before he got stuck in that trailer. So yeah. the information couldn't have come from Gabriel unless I am grossly misunderstanding the timeline or it has been grossly misrepresented on the show. Well, it also depends on where that trailer is. We've been mixed up on locations before. Maybe the trailer is at Gavin's. No, and, the, uh, <laughs> there's no way. The trailer <laughs> is at the sanctuary. Okay, you sure? I'm better be, because if it's not, that's going to be a massive storytelling failure. All right, I agree with you on the timeline. Um, and in the real life, coincidences happen. Move stuff the day before somebody tries to take it, uh, but not when there are dramatic writers involved. So somebody tipped off Negan that this was happening. Had to. Whether it's uh, uh, Enid or... Um, Jadis. Maybe Simon is just that smart, you know? It's like, well, we got to keep these guns on the move. Maybe he has them on a, on a schedule. Every random number of days, they move the big guns to a separate location because uh, Simon's the smartest guy ever. Actually, that's not a terrible idea, right? You have, in this kind of war climate when you have enemies who could show up at any place at any time keep them on their toes move things around if you you know that's why you change the secret launch codes every once in a while because if they get out well by the time they're out and able to be used against you you've changed them anyways so oh yeah they, the u.s military didn't do that for a long time you read that right that the u.s military uh were required to enter to have secret launch codes for every uh missile complex and so the military went, yeah, sure, we'll enter a, a, a code for every military complex. Every single code was zero, 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 zero for decades. I don't, I can't, that sounds like an urban myth. Oh, no, I think it's true. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I believe that, but. Anyway, yeah, so you got to change the secret launch codes every once in a while, but, you know, sometimes they don't. Okay, maybe they don't, but let's, let's say that's true. The idea was there and the idea was good to change them. So maybe Negan is implementing that same thing, thinking we have these giant weapons and if we're going to keep them safe and we want to use them at some point or, or at least have them so when we need them, we can use them. Let's keep moving them around. You know, I've got guys, they're sitting around doing nothing. Let's have a team in charge of moving the guns. And yeah, absolutely. that could be what happened. You know, it, that's the second best thing to having them all uh, stationed in a dirigible. And just, just have them floating around somewhere. Floating around. Yeah. If you need them in a pinch, though, I mean, then you got to land the thing. Get oh, yeah. Them dirigibles out. are horrible for that. Right. You know. But if they were available to cross the ocean from Toronto to London, would you take one instead of an airplane? Well, uh, I might. I, I might. It depends on the price of, you know, is it cheaper than a plane or more expensive? Because, you know. I'm just saying. It takes a week. All else being equal, I might consider it because it sounds like fun. It kind of does. As long yeah. as... Uh, I don't know, a week staring at the ocean. Hey, but you're on a dirigible. They probably have a really good bar and uh, other things to do. Well, why not take a boat then? Well, because a boat is even longer than a week, isn't it? Well, probably, but anyway. I don't know. They got some fast boats these days. I'd take a train. If there was a train, I'd take a train. Well, that'd be cool. There's not going to be a train. There's no, there's not going to be a train, <laughs> but there might be a suborbital. That'll get you there in half an hour. That'd be fun too. I might do that. Jeez, man, you could go to London for the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, time change would be wacky, but what are you going to do? Well, afternoon where? 
Yeah. <laughs> Local <laughs> afternoon or London afternoon, you right. know? I guess you could do both. Why not? Anyway, uh, who knows? I, I, I really don't believe in coincidences in dramatic television series. Okay. So we're going to find out that for somehow he, Negan or even, even just the people at that location were tipped off. Maybe Negan wasn't even involved. Maybe it wasn't his order. Maybe he has general orders to be like, you know, you guys hear about an impending attack, move these guns. Yeah. But then he doesn't know where the guns are if he needs them. He's got to find out. He's got to go to where the guns were. And they say, we moved the guns. It's like, oh, where did you move the guns to? It's like, oh, they moved them over to uh, this place. And then you got to go all the way over there. And they're like, no, no, we moved the guns back. Sure. Well, I didn't see them. I just came here. I didn't pass anybody on the road. It's like, oh, we took the the back way. Yeah. But if Simon is as smart as you say, and has as much responsibility as he deserves, like he could be in charge of that, right? And he's, he's not stuck in a trailer with Father Gabe. Never so, I mean, he could do anything. Exactly. He could probably design and build his own dirigible to hold the, gun, the guns. Here's the twist, Jason. We're at the end of this season. We're going to find out that Simon is actually Negan and Negan was just the puppet figurehead to the genius behind the scenes. Simon yeah. is, is the wizard behind the curtain. You're goddamn right he is. Fuck. That's, that's great <laughs> TV right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right, next we have an email from Daniel on the internet. Daniel writes, I was late watching this week's episode, and I know I'm probably too late even for the feedback episode, but I just wanted to say how much I love the scene with Gregory arriving at the hilltop with his weaselly excuses trying to throw off the other guy and throw the other guy under the bus. The other guy leaning over the fence, offended, and how quick Gregory tries to stop anybody else being let in as soon as he's inside. I think Gregory may well be my favorite character in either show. I love the way uh, he will sell El- anyone uh, sell anyone out to save his own skin, but never presents an immediate threat and is always just slightly too pathetic for anybody to be able to bring themselves to kill him. He's never stood out in the comic books, but Xander Berkeley is the most perfect casting the show has made. And I love TV Gregory to bits. Well, that's awesome. I, I must admit, I agree. I find him entertaining entertaining uh but in a way that you love to hate him right yeah and he's that kind of guy too like you've seen other stuff that xander berkeley is in was in right Ooh, i don't know if i have um i didn't well he was in 24 and he was the same kind of thing you love to hate him okay uh yeah so he's he's really good at that yeah well he he seems to be very good at it and i i do agree that he he can be entertaining when he's on screen and the scene with him at the gate was really good like it it was it was a good mixture of of sort of comedy in a way and um you know dramatic question of whether Maggie would let him in or not after what he's done to this group so uh, I enjoyed it I think he plays the character really well but God does he piss you off sometimes you know yeah and I'll you know I'll say it right here I moderated a panel with him and Tom Payne back in London at Walker Stalker and uh he's kind of intimidating and like, what does he yell a lot may, he, well maybe not intimidating but like he sort of stay he sort of plays Gregory on stage like he kind right. of is in character on the panel and I found that more challenging to deal with than if it was just a real person talking about a character they play because you, you, you feel like you have to be in character then. Right. And I can't do that. I'm, I'm not up for that challenge with a real actor like that. So, uh, it was a little challenging, but you know, 
it was entertaining. People liked it. And I do, I do think he does a good job. That's the problem with actors. They never stop acting. Well, some of them do. Tom Payne wasn't acting while he was up there. <laughs> wasn't he though? Oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> some people are really good at it. Yeah. Really good at acting and really good at not acting. Acting like they're not acting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Justine and NorCal writes, is it bothering anyone else how casual our heroes suddenly seem to be about their supply of guns and ammo? Last season, Eugene got kidnapped because he was... Uh, because he seemed to be the only source of bullets, and Rick made a jackass deal with the garbage people for guns. But this season, I see them time and again just walking past dead people while leaving their guns and bullets behind, like suddenly they'll never need more. While Rick and Daryl were risking their lives to find some mythical supply of guns inside a savior's safe house, I kept yelling at the screen, why don't you just go and pick up all the guns you left lying outside? They're looking for big guns. Well, in that case, they were looking for big guns. And in their defense... They did show us a scene in the, in the aftermath of that attack where, you know, to be fair, we didn't really see them going around picking up weapons, but they are sort of cleaning up the battlefield. They're stabbing dead people in the head so they don't come back as zombies. And they're doing their, they're doing the sort of things they're supposed to be doing. And I think one of those jobs is probably collecting the weapons. That said, it's probably not the most riveting TV to watch a bunch of people walk around, pick up guns, check if they're loaded, and then find ammo for them. So Yeah, and you clean the brains out of the breech and uh, all well, yeah. the barrel is full of, what is it, fingers? Damn it. No. <laughs> what is that? What What is that mystery <laughs> human meat in there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, this, <laughs> this magazine is full of meat. <laughs> yeah. What am I going to do? We can't use this. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really crappy TV. You're, you're right there. And I'm not saying they can't show it to us once in a while or even put it like in the background while, you know, Rick and Daryl stand, are standing around talking, have Scott in the background picking up some weapons. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, I think I'm okay with just working on the assumption that they're doing this and not having to see it all the time. Right. But it is kind of ridiculous that they're uh, they're using a lot of bullets. Uh, when previously they were concerned about finding guns and ammo. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. It seems like they've suddenly just found an unlimited supply. Uh, but maybe maybe they have? No, I don't no, know. They're, they're magic guns, so maybe they just somehow were able to copy and paste them. Well, read the next email, because we might address this. So uh, John in Connecticut writes, first off, the magic guns just need to stop. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that with all the shooting, not one gun was ejecting brass? The ground should have been littered with it. Plus, if you watch the close-up, the bolts aren't even cycling. They need to pay attention to details. It just looks cheap. Another thing, the rules of the world seem to change way too much. When Aaron is yelling, it doesn't attract the walkers and neither does the massive firefight, but sneeze at the wrong time and it will bring a massive herd of walkers down on you. Well, do I agree with this? Yes, on one hand, I do. The rules do seem to matter in one scene and not in another. But maybe, maybe the rules always apply, but our characters realize that sometimes you have to just take the chance. They need to attack these outposts. They need to shoot at stuff. So when they roll up to the sanctuary and they shoot out all the windows, their goal there is to make as much noise as they can. So they bring all the walkers to the sanctuary and screw them over that way. But when they're attacking the uh, outpost, uh, you know, with Rick and Daryl inside, 
Maybe they're just like, you know what? We have to take a chance here. If we do this quick enough, it's not going to matter if we draw walkers here because we'll be gone by the time they arrive. Uh, and if, if it does take long, that's just a chance we have to take because this is a necessary step in the war. Yeah. Right? Well, I'd agree with that, but still. You know, yes. you can yell your full head off and as long as there's... Maybe they know when there's zombies around or when there's a potential for zombies around. In this case, they're walking in on a, or coming up to a compound yeah. that is a known safe house for uh, the saviors. And therefore, most likely everywhere around here will be cleared of zombies. When you're just kind of meandering through the forest trying to get from point A to point B, you have no idea whether or not there's zombies around. So shut the fuck up. Just yeah. be quiet. Don't say anything. Whereas in this case, you know, you can probably get away with a lot more than you would normally uh, in that kind of situation. Yeah, you're right. Maybe they figure this area is being cleared because there are people living here and it's in their best interest to clear it out a little bit. That's probably a big assumption to make, but I still think that they just take it as a calculated risk and say, look, we're going to do this. If a whole horde of zombies show up, we have an escape plan. Uh, but hopefully we're gone by the time they do show up and then we can leave them behind anyways. And we don't care if there's zombies around here because this is a savior outpost and yep. the more zombies, the better. Yeah. So in this case, I guess so. Um, cases. Yeah. Next up is Michelle in Portland, Oregon, USA. And Michelle writes, you totally missed the boat on Ezekiel's attitude or smile after each ambush of saviors. Yes, he was smiling, but he was, quote, faking it until you make it, end quote. His eyes were pained each time, and the smile was more of a grimace, but then he faced his team and put more happy into it. He is following the plan and inspiring the troops, but he doesn't like it. Right. What do you think about that? Do you agree with that, or is or is he just over-the-top kind of delusional? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's trying to uh, convince himself as much as anything. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, he's trying to keep a brave face for the troops, but it works two ways and it works on his own psyche as well. Yeah. The eyes are the window to the soul. Are they? Yes, they are. Yeah. And you can you can tell a lot from, uh, are you saying it with your eyes or just your mouth? <laughs> That's right. I know people that say everything with their hands. So that's a different thing. Well, like as in sign language or as in uh, they just talk loudly with hand gestures? As in a lot of gesticulation, yeah. Okay, that's good. I've never been a gesticulator no, myself. me either, but I live with one. <laughs> oh, okay. So. <laughs> I see what you're saying. So stand back when she's ready to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so are we ready to move on? Yeah, sure. All right, next we have an email from Danny in London. Holy crap, did they just kill Morales? Uh, I've always been really intrigued with what happened to him and his family when they left our group. He was a character that left the show but wasn't killed off. How often does that happen? There was so much potential with this character. They could have showed us his backstory and brought another original Series 1 character back into the fold like they did with Morgan. But no. <laughs> Let's put a bolt in his head after one scene. Well played, Walking Dead writers. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm in a way I'm not that surprised they killed him off that quickly. And I'm going to read the next email here from Bill in Indiana. Bill writes, thank Christ they killed Morales. <laughs> that had the potential to be a terrible story. I was afraid they would create situations where he would wonder, is he with Rick or Negan all season long? And at some point have to show us his journey to Virginia. Hopefully now we won't have to suffer through any of that. 
Yeah, he's forgotten. He's that's the end of that storyline. Like put to bed nicely, I guess. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But am I a little surprised they did it? Going back to Danny's email, I would say I am. I I I kind of expected his storyline to play out a little bit longer. I didn't expect him to survive the season at all. But I figured since he apparently called the saviors and they were coming. I thought maybe we'd at least see the result of that and how he dealt with that and and what happened. And then probably he'd be killed off after that somehow, but it's not the way it played out. He was just gone right away. Um, But I also agree with Bill that I'm not sure I would have liked to have seen, you know, a bottle episode dedicated to Morales and his journey up to Alexandria or that area. No, they would never, they were never going to do that. Well, you never know. And I'm, I'm glad that, is now off the table because he, it's just not enough of a character to, sh- to have him in a few episodes in season one and then expect us to really buy into him as a character seven years later. Right. That, was it a little cheap that they brought uh, a character in just to kill him off in a surprising way rather than doing it with, uh, with a known established current character? Yes. I mean, I think, I think when you put it that way, yes, I think it might be like, you know, I didn't even, I barely recognized him until he said his name. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah. What was the point? Like, it's a guy who we're, we're supposed to recognize or feel something for. And, you know, I, I do think he was put there in a way to affect both of those characters in that room. And our next caller uh, speaks to that a little bit, but, um, yeah, I think it might have been a little cheap. You know, I think well, I feel a little, a little Nikki and Paolo'd. Uh, yeah, a maybe, little bit. Maybe not so much Nikki and Paolo'd. Maybe uh, Doctor Arst. Well, maybe I feel a little Doctor Arsted. It's it's a little different. Nikki and Paolo were introduced as new characters. Everyone said, "Guys, we don't need any new characters. Focus on the characters we have already." And then you know, the Lost writers did what they did. Yeah, they said right from the outset, they said, don't worry, it'll pay off. Yeah. Well, here they bring back a guy that they expect we're going to know, but nobody did. And then immediately kill him, expecting that everyone to go, oh my God, they killed Morales. I can't believe it. When nobody cared. So (laughs) ultimately, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that was fast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. (laughs) He had like not even 10 minutes of screen time, but yeah, uh, that's that. It's done. Um, Let's do the next call here. All right. We have a call from Anwin in New Zealand. Oh, look at that. I went and put the location in again. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Anwin from, uh, (laughs) well, we're not going to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Here we go, Anwin. Thank you. Hey, Chris and Jason. It's Anwin from New Zealand. Just wanted to um, put in my thoughts on Morales and I've seen quite a lot of um, talk about him coming back and what was the point and it was so quick and then suddenly he was killed off. I actually think it was really well done. Um, he, he didn't come back to be Morales, he didn't come back to be a character from the past who was going to develop or do anything like that. I don't think he was important enough or featured largely enough at the beginning to do that. I think he came back to serve as Rick's conscience so that um, it could give, a, give Rick a chance to, to look back at what he was and to, to really have that perspective and also to serve um, to show how far Daryl's come in terms of just shooting everybody. Um, 
and even though Daryl knew that it was Morales, he still shot him and that contrast with him and Rick was quite stark there, I thought. So I thought it was quite well done. I wasn't sad to see him come. I wasn't sad to see him go. I think it um, was really effective um, for what it was. And yay, I'm so glad Rick took the baby. It is so fantastic. Anyway, have a great day. See you later. Bye. Thanks, Anwen. I think she makes a really good point that he was there to remind us how far Rick has come and how far Daryl has come. And that's what I meant a minute ago when I said it sort of affected both of those characters. But I mean, there might've been another way to do that than bring back a guy that nobody recognized from seven years ago. Yeah, but it's okay. It is. I mean, Anwin's call does make me feel slightly better about it. I will admit that. Uh, But I can kind of see both sides and regardless was really quick and short and i guess we're going to move on now and most people will just forget he was ever there (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter no not really all right uh let's get a call here from emma hey chris and jason this is emma calling from winnipeg manitoba with my thoughts on this week's episode one thing i think we found out pretty much right away is why jesus had that sudden change of heart in episode two I know we were talking about how he went from being someone that was totally okay with killing to being someone that was trying to protect the saviors, kind of on the side of all life is precious. Um, I personally think the reason they did this was because the writers thought of this really cool fight scene between Morgan and Jesus, and they were trying to figure out a way to put it in this episode and have it fit. I am not crazy about this. I think it's something that we've seen with the writers before, where they think of something really cool and visually appealing. And instead of kind of playing the long game and making sure that it fits with the characters and the season and everything like that, they rush it. And that's when we see these moments where we have characters acting totally out of their build. There was nothing wrong with the fight scene itself. Um, The acting was great and the guys did all of their own stunts, which was pretty amazing. Um, But it just didn't fit. Um, When you really take a step back, if you told us this was going to happen in episode one, there would be nothing that you could look at and say, oh yeah, that makes sense that that's coming. So that's my thoughts for this week. Thanks so much. You guys do such a great job. Bye-bye. Emma is talking about the fight scene between Jesus and Morgan and how it's the kind of thing that sounds really cool on paper, but is very difficult to incorporate into the episode. And I don't think she thinks they did it very well. I would have to agree on one hand in that I don't really love it. I think it's really difficult to do scenes between allies where they are supposed to fight each other in a convincing way. Yeah. But at the same time, it was a really well done fight scene with two really good actors who clearly have some chops when it comes to fight choreography. So I liked that part about it, but I agree with Emma that it did not work perfectly within the context of the story in the episode. Yeah, I, you know, when I, when she, Emmy, Emma was talking about this, I was thinking, yeah, we didn't spend a lot of time uh, paying into this fight scene. I mean, I like the fight scene. I like the idea of the fight scene. Uh, I think that Jesus and Morgan, uh, as, you know, combatants, I think it would be interesting to see them fight. But uh, we can put this way, I think uh, you're absolutely right. A little bit more of a, of us buying into it over time would it would have this payoff be a little more meaningful and as she was talking uh, about this i was thinking would they do this on breaking bad like remember breaking bad how long did we have to buy into the uh, to the walt mike thing for that to play out the way it did it was seasons 
It right. was multiple seasons that we bought into that. And so that payoff at the end was uh, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You're right. If there'd been long-term tension between these, these two characters, you could believe that eventually it would boil over into a physical alter- altercation. But it all kind of happened within one or two episodes. And so it's hard to buy it as much. Especially when uh, it doesn't make any sense for either one of these characters. Like if their roles were completely reversed, it would make more sense. Like Morgan didn't want to kill anybody. That's part of Morgan's character, mm-hmm. right? And Jesus does want to kill people? Well, whatever. We don't know Jesus that well. So yeah, fine. Uh, you know, if it, if their roles were completely reversed, I think it would be more believable. I think it would. The One of the problems is though that Morgan has been both of those characters and yeah. you never know what you're going to get with him, which I guess could be interesting in some ways. But for for this, it didn't really work. But I think you're right. If they'd reversed it, uh, it would have worked better primarily because we don't necessarily know what Jesus's attitude is as well or, as we do Morgan's. Well, even with Morgan, his uh, when he's going clear crazy, uh, it's about killing zombies and then not caring if humans get mixed into the mix a little bit. But now it's just, you know, he's, forget about the zombies. Let's just kill all these humans. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's even still a little bit out of his wheelhouse. Yeah, it is. The other point I wanted to make here is that I, I do have some sympathy for the writers though, at this point, I mean, that we're eight years into this show and it must be difficult to continually come up with new and interesting ways to just make the show thrilling or, or exciting or, or whatever, you know, because they've their whole job. I know it's their whole job, but like, don't you feel like they are going out of their way sometimes to make the zombies a threat when at this point they're almost no threat at all. Well, and, and they're doing weird things like that's having what the comic book is about, but they're right? doing and like from right from the outset, the comic books have been around for how many years now? I don't, uh, well, 170 episodes issues or whatever since 2003. Yeah. So, so it's 2003 and everything points to the zombies aren't that, big a deal it's just it's the setting for this other conflict so uh they don't have to keep making the zombies more scary right but then they're then they're 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 working on a show that is at its core a zombie show whether it is or it's not i mean most of the audience thinks that it is and then they're doing weird shit like having the zombies roll down the hill to the side of the road and pop up like (laughs) they might as well all be going wee well, but roll down. Should, the- somebody should put that audio over that clip. <laughs> See how the how the scene plays out after that. Well, it's like when they did the Benny Hill music over top of uh, Rick and Daryl chasing Jesus around a field, right? Yeah, that's good stuff. That was good stuff. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is they have the zombies rolling down a hill, and then like popping up in the middle of the road right next to people as if they materialized out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Number one, I don't know how they like popped up in the road so quickly. And number two, I don't know why they're rolling down the hill. It's they fell. They're I know. Walking to the edge of a steep hill and they fell and they rolled. Right. The soft grass. But that seems to make them even less threatening because now they're prone on the ground and not a threat really. And you can sort of see them coming, rolling down the hill. So yeah. would it be better if they were on toboggans? No, but it would, it it would be a whole different show. Uh, it would be better if there was for some, some way to make them a little more threatening in that scene 
to to our living characters. But this is what I mean. I I I have some sympathy for the writers because it must be really really hard to do that at this point. All these characters are very adept at killing zombies, and when you're walking down a road with big wide shoulders like that and no trees for you know, 20 meters on each side of the road, it's hard to make zombies sneak out of nowhere at you. Yeah, I think it would... See, I don't have as much sympathy for them because uh, they are professionals. It's the reason they got hired for this show. And based on the amount of uh, fictional content out there in the world, there's a lot of compelling compelling stories from, uh, you know from areas that doesn't don't seem like they would be interesting at all yeah yeah you're right so you're saying they should just do better they should do better yeah they should do better yeah they, uh, we deserve better i i i want them to do better but i just realize that it must be getting difficult at this point and well th- then they should be all fired right and we should get new people in that can do better because yeah. there is better out there uh, there's gotta be. I wonder what the writer's room is like at this point on this show. There, there, is there much turnover in the, like, you know, staff writers that they have? I don't know because every episode is credited to one person generally who I guess writes the outline and then everyone else fleshes it out. Uh, but I don't know exactly how writer's rooms work. So yeah. I, I think Scott Gimple should take a walk over to the Wizards of the Coast, uh, offices, uh, who make, uh, Magic the Gathering and D and D, and say, "Hey, I'm looking for uh, writers that can uh, can write a decent storyline based on uh, zombies." And everybody's like, "Wow, shit! I got tons of ideas. I've been <laughs> working on zombie ideas for the last forty years." All those guys are like, "I got a folder like three inches thick of stuff, man. <laughs> I got zombie ideas. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a whole zombie book. Yeah, no one would publish it, but it's all yours. <laughs> no, I got it upstairs. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's yeah, it's the it's the undead uh, in the D and D world that you know that's where they have the dividing line of, uh, you know, zombies are undead and so are uh, vampires. What's the difference? Well, the vampires are dead but still have their soul attached, whereas zombies just an animated corpse where the soul is like fucked off to wherever souls go when you die. Right. Right. So <laughs> right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's lots of there's lots of ideas out there. Uh, Scott, get your shit together, and uh, if your writing staff is not cutting it. Get some new writing staff. Yeah. Sorry. And it's y- harsh. You know what, though? This circles me back to a thought I had the other day in that it didn't... We've had three showrunners. We've had Frank Darabont, we've had Glenn Mazzara, and we've had Scott Gimple. And is it possible, Jason, that even though it felt at the time like those were... Uh, it was a bad thing to be changing the showrunner... Is it possible that it was actually a good thing? Because every couple of years we brought in new, fresh ideas from a different person and different writers. And now we've had Gimple for what, four years or something like that. And maybe it's time to shake it up again. Oh, God, I don't think I can, my heart can take another showrunner roll, roll over. I know, but, but. I know it didn't feel like it at the time, but in retrospect, maybe that's what this kind of show needs. Good God, AMC goes on and on about how this show could go for 25 or 30 years. Like, imagine if Gimple's still doing this show in 2030. Like, what's it going to well, be like? Be. He's like, he's already getting the executive producer role on uh, this and the other show, right? So I'm just saying, like, I feel like this show, possibly more than any other show, would benefit from every... At most five years 
a kind of a, a shakeup of, of, of uh, creative talent. You think they should get Carlton Cues in, see what he can do? I don't know. Maybe, man. <laughs> I don't know. What's he doing these days? Wasn't, I have no idea. Wasn't he doing the, uh, um, oh my God, that, that uh, Psycho show. What was it called? Psycho show. Oh, um, Bates Motel. Bates Motel. Wasn't he doing that one? I believe he was doing Bates Motel. I still have to watch the last season of that. I'm... Well, I've only seen the first season and there's like oh my God. five or six, right? To... That's that's such a good show. Like that is the a good example of a uh, a constrained uh, plot line, basically a constrained uh, setting, right? You take the Bates Motel, uh, which in Psycho it's very defined what happens in Psycho, and you start off with uh, you know Norman Bates and his mom buying the hotel. Like that's the first episode of the first season. And then you know where this is going to end. You absolutely have to know where this is going to end because it's supposed to be the actual uh, plot of, you know, Psycho. Right. So uh, it's very constrained. You just have, you have these two people in this small town that own a, uh, a little motel. What do you do? And there's like six seasons of like awesome, compelling storylines that they managed to put into this very constrained setting. Okay. So maybe Carlton Cuse is our man. Or at least- Maybe he is. Our next man. Or I, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Anyhow, um, let's keep it going here. That was- that, Oh yeah, we're, do, that, we're doing a podcast here, aren't that we? That spawned into a lot more than I thought it would. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, uh, who's up next? Uh, we got Sean in Richmond, Virginia. Are you guys as sick of this fucking Jesus storyline as me? <laughs> the dude walked into a, f- uh, a f- what? The dude a walked- facility. Yes. Oh my god, brain is not working. The dude walked I'm like fallacy. No, that can't be fallacy. Okay, so I'm going to start the sentence over. The dude walked into the facility blasting people last week, and then just randomly decides to become the savior. See what I did there? To all. Even after the piss pants dude proves to be a dipshit, that's funny too, uh, still we let him live. This week takes the cake. Morgan was right on every account. If these guys escape, they're going to kill Jesus and everyone else. I only wish Morgan had gone full clear on his ass and put that spear through his fucking neck. I am so over this struggle with morality, and now it looks like Rick is getting ready to go down that path again as well. Yeah, and you know what? As... as much as I would have hated to lose Jesus as a character, how shocking would it have been if Morgan had killed him in that fight? And what would happen to Morgan after that? Holy moly. I think that would have been amazing, actually. I think that would have been fan-fucking-tastic. Right? And I would have, I would have lamented uh, the loss of Jesus. Oh, absolutely. I would not have been happy at all about losing that character. I think he's a great character, and he's probably got lots of fun stuff to do. But... Boy, would that have been a surprising moment if if he had put the staff through his neck. Yeah. So. I would have commemorated his death every year by eating chocolate and maybe hiding eggs. <laughs> Sometime <laughs> around April, right? <laughs> well, that depends on when he died, right? Like okay. It would be October for in this particular case. But yes, I would, I would do that. I would hide random eggs around and eat chocolate. All right. Well, in that, honor of uh, commemorating his death. That's Sorry, a- that was a. Probably in bad taste, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's fine. It's it's a joke, people. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Sean, for that. Michael in London writes, It's interesting how everyone's moral views are starting to conflict. We have always automatically presumed our heroes all sing from the same hymn sheet, but now we are seeing that they really are individuals. 
Look at Jesus with Morgan. One genuinely believes that the saviors should be kept alive, whilst the other has an equally good point when it comes to executing them. When Morales is killed by Daryl, Rick is shocked and seemingly angry with him for doing this. Yes, it may be because Rick and Daryl knew who he was, but did Rick think that maybe knocking out capturing a savior is better morally than killing one? Also, when Daryl kills the savior after Rick gives him his word is another thing that shocked me. Rick mentions that in this apocalypse, his word is all he has, but the trust is betrayed when Daryl kills him in cold blood. Well, that's Rick's out, right? Uh, it's, I can give you my word all my, all, all I want, but then I got this guy over here that, you know, does what needs to be done and <laughs> I don't have to keep my word. Yeah, I can, I can, I can promise you anything I want, but Daryl's still going to shoot you in the neck. Well, yeah, I don't, it's, uh, you know, I don't have to keep my word, but I don't have to break it either. Right. I got this guy. So he's clean on either end. Yeah. Interesting. No, it's, it's, it's a great relationship. Yeah, I think, it, I, I think it does work in that respect. Uh, as for all the characters being individuals and having individual morals, I would never argue that you want the show to be any other way because these are supposed to be characters and they are supposed to be different. They can see eye to eye on some things and they can be totally at odds with other things. Uh, but I also would like to occasionally put morality storylines to bed and not have to continually revisit them over and over again. So let's stick to some morals for some characters and, and, uh, go from there rather than having yeah. Morgan play both sides and having Rick flip flop back and forth about, we don't kill the living until we really need to kill the living and things like that. Yeah, but that flip flopping, flip flopping, uh, flip flopping <laughs> that Rick does is entertaining too, right? Uh huh. Like we like, look what happened in the comics. Sorry to spoil the comic from like fifteen years ago or whatever it was, but you know we don't kill the living was an absolute rule that Rick stated and meant to live by for all of fifteen seconds. Sure, I. I... But you could argue that Rick changes his mind based on uh, the circumstances that he's in. And, and I mean, that's kind of realistic, you know. Has Morgan's circumstances really changed that much for him to be so far on one side and now so far on the other? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's, it's, it's comes down to, in a way, just his outlook on things, right? Maybe he feels that things have changed enough. Uh, but think about it. Like the wolves were attacking them with no reason, uh, or no provocation. And he refused to kill that head wolf. And now we encounter the saviors who are slightly differently evil, but you could argue just as evil, if not more. And he's really okay with killing them all. Yeah. Different situations maybe, but how it affects Morgan is, is the real question that I don't always understand. I think Rick would be more believable as a character if he was a consultant rather than a police officer prior to the zombie apocalypse. Because as you know, I've been a consultant for 15 years and there's no chance in hell that I would actually ever commit to a yes or no answer ever <laughs> or to an absolute, like, I believe this and this is the way it's going to be. Uh -huh. It's like, hey, can we do this? It's like, well, we can probably do that. But, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be give and take along the way. There's the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, and there's all kinds of stuff that you need to come across. You know, I will never answer no, because anything can be done with enough time and money. Uh, but I will also never answer yes, because there's a chance that it might not work. 
Well, and I, I don't want to, you know, if I say yes, then you're going to hold me to that. And so I'm not going to say yes. I take exactly the same approach uh, and I do a similar job to you. Not exactly the same, but I take yeah. exactly the same approach. But I work with people who are like, no problem. We'll get that done. We'll figure oh. it out. That's because they're in sales, right? Or, or they're different personalities. I've, yeah. I've, my whole company has undergone uh, this personality test thing, which, which ranks you in a bunch of things. And then you get a kind of a, a score in different areas and it, it determines your approach to problems and projects. And right. I didn't take it seriously at first, but then I looked at everybody's results and compared the results with what I know about these people who some of them, some of them I've worked with for a long time. So I feel like I understand how they do things and it's weirdly accurate. <laughs> so, um, anyways, it's just, I'm with you. I'm sort of the same way. I'm more of an information gatherer first yeah. and I don't commit to something without really, really analyzing it. I'm not a quick start person. Yeah. You but see, I, the difference is between those people that commit to things yeah. is that most likely they're in the sales end of the organization and uh -huh. you're more in the delivery end of the organization. 100%. Sales always say yes. Yeah, absolutely. We could do that. That's no problem. No problem whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We've done the sale, handed off to operations, and now you're expected to deliver on this bullshit. Right. I, <laughs> I, I hear you, man. It's exactly the way it works. Uh, how does this relate to Rick though? Rick needs to be more uh, of a, he needs to be more of a consultant. That way he doesn't commit to anything. Got it. He just needs to hedge his bets and say, yeah, I would like to not kill the living in the future. You know, he's, you know, he stated his opinion. He stated what he wanted to do, but he's not committed to it. Right. Sure. And therefore it doesn't have to go back on his word. Right. So, okay. Yeah. He just <laughs> needs to be a consultant rather than a police officer. He's a little too black and white, I think. A little bit sometimes, yeah. All right, where the hell are we? We're in uh, Megan in Virginia. Oh, we're not, you know, you know what I mean. I had a question concerning season eight, episode three, and I was hoping to get your opinion, your input on it. Uh, in the episode, Aaron ends up leaving Eric on the tree to go back to the battle. While he may uh, do so because Eric told him, do you think he, uh, him doing so matches his character? Uh, he continuously protects Eric, even running into a walker herd when we first see him because he thought Eric was in trouble and also tries to put himself in the way of a shooter, a rat, who was getting beaten up, uh, after getting beaten up. Uh, I just wanted to get your guys' input on it. So leaving Eric by the tree, does that match his character? No, absolutely no? not. And it's a dumb thing to do. He's obviously either going to live and be in extreme pain or he's going to die and turn into a zombie. And is this what you want for the man you love? Uh, no. So what are you, what are you saying he should have done? He should have taken him and gotten the fuck out of there. And just left and gotten, gotten him some medical attention. Yeah. But then he's abandoning his team who is still embroiled in a battle. Well, that's okay. And he's kind of the leader. Like he's not the medic who's there well, to like treat people. But that in combat, not everybody that takes somebody out of uh, the front lines when they're wounded are medics. Like he just says, fuck it, I'm going to leave it to the medics because the well, medics are busy. True. Right? But does the general uh, pick someone up and, and walk off with them and leave the troops I, to continue the battle? I don't think he's a general. Wow. If he's a general, he wouldn't be there in the first place. I don't know. See, my... The thing is, every, they committed everybody to a frontline troops. When they're yeah. in the combat situation, they should have like, okay, we're going to have wounded. So we're going to have some people to deal with that and, uh, you know, bring the wounded back and then go back into the battle mm -hmm. and not, you know, bring them, leave them leaning up against a tree and say, good luck. Uh, you're the love of my life. I'll see you later. Maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it was within his character to, to leave him up against a tree. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with you. I think he should have probably stayed with him. I mean, this isn't, this isn't a typical military operation, right? These are civilians who are fighting for their lives. And, yeah. and so the, well, the, why is he fighting? Is he fighting for the good of the group or is he fighting to protect his, uh, his loved one? Well, I kind of think he's fighting for the good of the group and that's why he went back because the group was more important than the loved one in that moment. But well, I, then he's a bastard. Then, yeah, but I do think it would be a little more awesome if he was, even if he started the fight for the group, but then when Eric got injured, realized that he's doing this for him and the two of them. And then made that call, but he didn't, right. he made the call to go back in. No, in the last episode I, I differentiated and I said, I would leave you, right? But sure. I wouldn't leave my wife. Right. So, yeah. and I think that's, that's the difference here is that if this was somebody else that he dragged out of combat, uh, sure, go back in and continue fighting for the greater good. But, you know, the, I wouldn't drag out my wife and leave her against a tree and say, I know you're bleeding out, honey, but see ya. No. I got to go back and fight these people. Uh, you know, first of all, she'd be mad at me. I can tell you that right now. She'd, <laughs> she'd be, be pretty mad. How dare you leave but, me on this tree? <laughs> even though I gave her a great big kiss. I mean, like I kissed you for like five seconds there. Wow, that's this a lo- five second kiss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, there's no way. It, it, but that's, you know, maybe I'm projecting my character onto Eric. Sure. Uh, or Aaron. Aaron, yeah. You know what? I, I do think you make an excellent point, though. I, If it was Tobin or Scott who had carried Eric out, yeah, he's going to put him there and be like, look, I hope you're fine, but I got to get back there and help. I'll go like let Eric, Aaron know to maybe come out and see you. Yeah. But, but, if, but the fact that it is Aaron there, you know, I wouldn't leave my wife against a tree either, but I might leave you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So... <laughs> It's, I think, I think you make a very valid point and, uh, I think Megan does as well that it, it, it shouldn't have fit with the character, even if you could argue that it does because, but that's just the way we see things. I don't know. Or maybe character doesn't matter, uh, when drama's involved, it seems. Uh, no character always matters. No, I just mean in this show. All right. Or this season, maybe. Maybe just this season. Uh, Nate in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is next and Nate writes, I might be in the minority here, but I disagree with how the audience was supposed to feel sadness or grief for Aaron during the Eric death sequence. While Ross Marquand did a great job at portraying a grieving partner, I feel like Eric's, uh, I feel like Eric was dead long ago. Maybe it was a budget decision, but Eric's character never got its just due in order to feel any sort of attachment to him dying. At one point earlier on in the series, I wasn't even sure if Eric was still alive. And it's true. We didn't see him for a long time. No, we didn't see him for a long time. And that is a little bit of a failing of the, the show. But at the same time, there's a lot of characters and they can't give everyone stuff to do all the time. But I have said, and I know someone will call me out on this, that they haven't always done a great job of incorporating all the characters, including some of the primary characters. So yeah. it's got to be even harder to include, you know, tertiary characters like Eric. Um, but that said, you know, he had more to do in the first three episodes of this season. So you kind of knew what was about to happen. And that yep. sucks that that's how they do things. Uh, but I would have, you know what, Jason, I would have forgiven it at all, all of it. 
if Morgan had killed Jesus, because that would have just been so, <laughs> such a big deal. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like, uh, you know, just a sparkle on the whole episode that just shined awesomeness all over it. It would have, it would have, you know, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been the most shocking thing they've possibly ever done on the show. Yeah. But no balls were shown. It's like covering, uh, you know, you could cover uh, pieces of wood and ground with, uh, uh, you know, chocolate and you'd still eat it, right? <laughs> well, there's chocolate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's sure it's, you know, pieces, hunks of dirt and God knows what, but it's covered in chocolate. So it looks good to me. Looks good. Exactly. All right. Where are we? Hannah. Hannah in Aurora, Colorado. Since the season eight premiere, something uh, that keeps coming up is, why does Rick look so old in the future? Now, after the second and third episodes, there is a theory that the little girl in the future, in quotes, is Gracie, not Judith. It occurred to me that for the little girl to be Gracie, more time has passed to get to this future, since Gracie is a much younger baby than Judith we saw in the premiere. Maybe instead of two to three years, it's been more like five plus years. Uh, with a bigger time jump, jump Look, uh, Rick looking aged is more believable. And also I think it would be more uh, story enough to be in or close to 2017. It would move the story enough to be in or close to 2017. Yeah. So, so we're almost present with old Rick. If, if it is... Well, let's see. The show starts in 2010. It starts in 2010. We've gone through two or three years in the apocalypse. So in the show, it's 2013, maybe. Right. Uh, and then four years after that would be 2017. Five plus years, maybe. It hasn't been quite as many years so far. So we could be around present time. Uh, I still think Rick looked kind of old for, you know, a, a seven year difference. Or eight year difference. I don't know. But eight years of hard living in the apocalypse make you look old. Oh, that could be very true. That could be very true. He could go very premature gray. <laughs> you go try living outside for the next eight years and see how you look. That's a good point. I, <laughs> I, well, I'd be dead <laughs> if I tried to yeah, live if, outside. <laughs> yeah. Now I did want to point out that, uh, you know, that whole theory about uh, Judith or Gracie in the future, that the credits of uh, the premiere, uh, Mercy, has uh, the actress uh, as six-year-old Judith, named oh. as six-year-old Judith. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if they're lying in the credits. I mean, the show's lied to us before, so maybe the credits is just another way to lie to us because they, you know, run out of ways to lie to us. Yeah, that it could mean absolutely nothing, or they could actually be six-year-old Judith. King Kinsley, uh, Ilsa Dillon plays six-year-old Judith. In Great. This, uh, particular episode. Okay. Well, uh, if she's six, I mean, Judith is like, what, one in two, the present two, time? Over one. Well, okay. Almost two. So it's yeah. been four years at least to that, to that, uh, future. Yeah. So we're talking about four or five years anyways. Um, whether it's Judith or Gracie, uh, I don't know. But yep. you, you wouldn't think Gracie, Gracie's a baby right now. If it's, so it's been four years, she's only four, not six, but who knows? It'll all be clear in the fullness of time, I hope. Yeah, I would hope so. I'd hate for them to just drop it and never bring it up again. <laughs> they won't do that. They won't do that. They might. Well, they won't. Know. They're not going to drop the future Rick storyline. They'll explain it somehow. And hopefully the children will be clarified as well when they do. Yeah. We'll see. 
All right, uh, we got one more call here and then a couple of longer emails before we wrap it up. So let's do the call first and then move into those. Hi guys, this is Lisa from Ipswich, Queensland, Australia. Um, holy crap, did you see yet another Polaroid being taken this episode? That's one each episode this season. I'm guessing the photos are going to be used eventually to humiliate uh, Negan or to show he has no longer the power that he thought he had and maybe to reduce him to what he reduced Rick to in Season 7, Episode 1. That's just my theory, but they've got to be going somewhere with the Polaroids. Also, in Episode 2, there was some speculation about who Baby Gracie's daddy was. The saviour Rick kills before discovering Gracie had a chest tattoo reading, God is Grace. So I'm guessing he's the baby daddy. Look, guys, I really appreciate um, the time and the effort and the the time it takes you away from your family to produce this um, wonderful podcast. You guys are great. I know it's not just me who's so grateful. Um, sometimes, you know, we watch an episode and you think, what was that all about? And then, you know, you listen to... Um, your podcast and it just kind of puts everything in perspective and also helps you know think of you know possible storylines and possible you know where things are leading but um um yeah it's great so please keep up the great work love you guys and um yeah have a good one see ya wonderful thank you lisa for those super kind words at the end you know jason i don't usually like to to play stuff like that too much but once in a while you just want to hold your own ladder you know hold your own ladder yeah is that from again well it's it makes more sense than toot your own horn well it does (laughs) well where did you get that phrase from uh a comedian i saw one time did a bit on how tooting your own horn doesn't make any sense because why would anyone ever uh why would why would you ever not toot your own horn like why would you have someone else playing your horn you're going to play your own horn so but it means like, you know, why would you prop yourself up kind of thing? So I think why would you hold your own ladder makes more sense. And the comedian did that bit. Well, I, maybe I thought it's it was funny. because the, you know, traditionally in... Uh, oh, it is because you, know, you, blow. Yours, you you get played into uh, a, a ball or something. Then you'd be like... Yeah, yeah. So tooting your own horn would be like announcing your own self uh, arrival. It's exactly where it comes from. When the king or queen walks into the room, they're announced with horns. So that's where it comes from. And I get that. But I, I think in modern context, it's uh, kind of funny to, yeah, you know, why is. would you blow your own horn? And hold your own ladder makes more sense. It does. <laughs> well, that, that was really nice of Lisa to say. I mean, uh, it does take time away from our families, mostly time away from sleeping families. Well, mostly. My family's asleep, I can tell you that. My kids are asleep. My wife is probably upstairs watching TV, but uh, whatever, that's yeah, okay. she don't care. No. Uh, <laughs> but but anyways, Lisa does make um, uh, a point about the Polaroids. That's what it was. So Rick's taken Polaroids in every single episode so far, and she speculated that they're, she, he's going to use those somehow to uh, humiliate Negan in a way. Uh, I don't know that it's possible to humiliate Negan. I don't think the guy is is um, self-aware enough to uh, be humiliated. I don't think he's humiliatable, no. 
Uh, I think it's much more likely that Rick is on his way to see Jadis and the scavengers and those Polaroids are for her. Yeah. Right. He's uh, taking pictures for her. He loves her. Maybe. Well, he wants, uh, he's going to drop Michonne and go after, uh, uh, Jadis. Maybe. Well, no. Fancy talking. <laughs> I don't think that's it, but wasn't you said on Monday, right? That, that he's going to see Jadis and the Polaroids yes. over her to, to prove to her that, look, we've, we've decimated some yeah. savior outposts. So you're on the wrong side of this fight. I've got the, uh, I've got, you know, 75 Polaroids of uh, dead people. Here's a present. Here's a present. <laughs> you like photography, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I think, I think that's it. Uh, but I, I don't think we'll have to wait that long to find out. I suspect that we're going to see Rick talking to Jadis on the next episode, number four. Yeah, we haven't seen Jadis and the garbage people in uh, too long. They're going to be uh, showing up very soon. You got to think so, yeah. Do you think we're going to go a whole another episode with no Negan, though? He's only been in the first one so far. Oh, I think we're going to get a mix of uh, garbage people and Negan. We got to bring Negan back. If I had, no, if I had to guess... Well, I, I actually have seen the preview for the next uh, episode okay. this time, which I don't and, always. Um, and you have to guess. Well, sorry, I've seen part of the preview. I didn't watch all of it, but I know, uh, you know, I guess if you're a non-preview person, this might be a spoiler, so jump ahead a little bit. All I'm going to say is that I know Carol is in the next episode because she's gone inside the Savior Outpost that had the snipers on the building, but she made it inside, so Carol is there. I don't know if we see Jadis or if we see Negan, but if I had to guess, we're going to see what Carol's doing and we're going to see what Rick is doing with Jadis next week. Um, and then the week after, we're going to go back to Negan and Gabe in the trailer. Right. But I don't know. That's just my feeling. Uh, all right. Thanks, Lisa, for that. So we've got two more emails here, uh, Jason, and I feel like they kind of go together and are in a way just looking at and analyzing the sort of morality of the characters on the show and the way they're, they're killing so many people. Um, whose turn is it to read? You or mine? Me. All right. So go for the first one. And, uh, then the last one, I think we can jump back and forth a little bit, but, uh, let's read Josh's. All right, Josh in also a rainy Wales. Mm -hmm. Some interesting facts I found amusing from the Walking Dead wiki. Uh, one, since meeting the Saviors, Rick and company have thinned their numbers by at least 200 people. On the flip side, the Saviors have managed to kill about 23 people from the good guy communities, excluding unknown Oceanside casualties. Uh, two, in comparison to previous battles, the governor was responsible for roughly 10 kills at the prison, where in return, Rick's group managed to kill around 30 of the governor's men, uh, both seasons three and four. The governor, therefore, lost three men to every one kill of the prison group, and the saviors have lost eight men to every one kill of all the communities. Side note, the governor, governor himself was responsible for at least 24 more kills, this number excluding the massacre of his own people. Uh, that's 11 more enemies killed, uh, enemy kills than the saviors at this point, uh, with less screen time. Uh, the governor also killed three A-listers, Andrea, Merle, and Herschel, uh, compared to the Savior's three A-list kills, Glenn, Abe, and Sasha. 
I feel this is a reason why I adored the earlier seasons and genuinely felt tension when the battle sequences cropped up. Rick and company are now playing on easy mode against their toughest opponents, and it's not fun to watch anymore. Okay, so some interesting stats here, I thought. And, uh, you know, thanks, Josh, for sending these in. So, you know, the governor... Um, I mean, our our characters have killed so many more of the saviors than they ever did of anyone in Woodbury or the governor's community, yeah. uh, which is really quite fascinating. And but, it, but when it comes down to it, the governor killed three A-list cast members, Andrea Merle and Herschel, and the saviors so far have as well, uh, Gabe, Glenn, and Sasha. Sasha's so, iffy. Yeah, and and to be honest, Josh included that in his original email. Uh, he he wasn't sure about Sasha either. I I edited that little bit there, but Sasha's pretty main by the well, end of it. Did, you know, without the go without uh, the governor, without Negan around, Sasha'd still be alive. She, she would, and don't forget, Sasha sacrificed herself. She wasn't actually killed by the by Negan or a savior. No, yeah, she's she decided to make herself a weapon. She did. Right. A done dead weapon. Right. It's, it's a direct result of, of being, uh, a, a direct result of their encounter with Negan and the saviors, but no savior actually shot her in the head or shot her anywhere. Um, so anyways, um, I just think those were some interesting things. The saviors have lost eight men to every one kill of the communities. The governor lost three, uh, pretty big difference there. And, um, it does feel like despite having such a poor start, uh, against the saviors, Rick and company have had a much more successful, uh, backlash against them or, or a much more successful ability to fight back against them, at least for now. Yeah. That's because of access to weapons. I guess so. And, and magic, no non-recoil, non-spitting brass, non-cycling firearms. <laughs> magic weapons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So our, our final email here comes from Dan in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, Jason, why don't I read the first part and then you guys, you and me can alter, alternate the uh, underlined bits here, if you see what I mean. Uh, there are underlined bits? Okay. Well, the, the sectioned off parts of, of oh, yeah, Dan's okay. email. <laughs> I'll, I'll catch on eventually. Don't all worry. Right. All right. So Dan writes, I was thinking about the issues of whether killing all the saviors is acceptable or not. I'm guessing it's been the zombie apocalypse for a few years at this point. In that time, Rick and company have faced four groups, the governor and Woodbury, Terminus, the wolves, and now the saviors. Woodbury and the saviors are major conflicts. Terminus and the wolves were smaller ones. So now Dan goes on to sort of analyze each of these conflicts and decide on whether the way it was resolved was a correct move by Rick and team or not. Okay. So the first one is the governor and Woodbury. Uh, he goes in point form. Governor, crazy leader, but much of the group was just townspeople. Point number two, once the governor killed his people and left, Rick welcomed in the townspeople. Uh, number three, this happened early in the apocalypse. So verdict, correct move by Rick, only killed the threats. Ah, good for him. All right, next we have Terminus. Uh, so point one is lord people, uh, lord people to them to capture them and eat them. Uh, second point is Rick wanted to kill them, but a group persuaded him not to. 
Bob is partially eaten by them. Then Rick kills the remaining termites. Uh, the verdict: correct move by Rick. The people of Terminus would pr- uh, would be pre- would prey on anyone. The world is better without them. Right. Okay. So so far we've got the way they handled the governor and Woodbury, the right move. And yep. in that case, it was only kill the threats and welcome the other people into the prison. Remember, he brought a bus yeah, over. Yeah, you're you're being led by a a, a shit disturber. You're not all shit disturbers. Correct. And we're here to save you (laughs) or liberate you. With the wool, uh, sorry, with Terminus, it was the other thing. They tried to let them live, but then they started eating people and they really fought back hard and they ended up killing everyone. So now the termites are dead and they can't prey on anyone anymore. Are you sure they're called termites or not Terminicians? They're termites. That's the agreed (laughs) agreed upon term. I don't know. Terminician seems like a pretty good word. It, it's not a bad word. I do like it, but <laughs> we, you should have coined that like three years ago. Yeah. You know, it's a little late to the party, I guess. Okay. So the next group is the wolves. Point number one, they're animalistic scavengers who attacked Alexandria. Point number two, they all ultimately end up dead. Morgan sort of gets through to their leader. The verdict, these people probably could have been captured and attempted uh, and attempted to rehabilitate. I don't think they were sought out to be destroyed. It more just worked out that way. So this is a little bit more vague, but I think, uh, I think what Dan is saying is that, you know, the wolves attacked them. They were defending themselves and they were just chaotic enough that there was no other real option for Rick and company to do anything about these guys, even though Morgan kind of tried and sort of got through to their, their leader a little bit, but even that didn't work out. Well, was he, was he really their leader? Well, did they even have a leader is the question. Well, that's the thing is they seemed a little more anarchistic. Yeah. So, you know, why not be their leader? Every one of them was probably their leader in some way. Right. But Morgan tried to do something because that was his frame of mind at the time. And, you know, but at the end of the day, these were a, a wild group of people that they had to defend themselves from and they did. Okay, so lastly, we have the saviors. Point number one, crazy leader, but group uh, group of mostly warriors. Uh, point number two, extort the other groups for resources. Point number three, enslave people by making them work for profits. Point po- number points four. For points. For, uh, sorry, points. Work for points, not profits. Yep. Uh, point number four, many besides Negan enjoy killing. Jared teased Morgan about killing Ben, the guy who had all the pictures on the wall of Negan's uh, Lucille kills, of Negan's Lucille kills. So he had uh, all the destroyed heads from bat bashes. Those other Polaroids, yeah. Verdict, kill them all. Free the slaves, <laughs> but many actual uh, saviors should die. They have been killing and extorting others for a long time. The new world can't have these guys in it. So kill them all because they're evil, evil people. Um, even potentially, you know, the the slaves or the people that are working for the points, right? Uh, I suppose you could argue that those are the ones that you want to kind of liberate and invite into your community. Not necessarily even because uh, anybody that falls outside of Negan's, uh, Negan, and I say that collectively, the collective Negan's... Uh, mindset are, are therefore, uh, 
by definition not Negan, and they are the outlying communities. They're like the right. uh, the hilltop, or even the scavengers, or uh, you know, people outside of, of uh, Negan. If they are part of the course uh, uh, saviors, their whole role is to exploit and extort other people. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have any way of uh, sustaining themselves. Uh, and therefore are the problem. Uh, so yeah. kill them all. Yeah. Okay. But so, that's, uh, that gives you another idea on how to uh, deal with them. Uh, if they don't have any way of sustaining themselves, just cut them off. What do you like mean? Just, you, you know, uh, um, surround them. Don't let any supplies in. I would oh. call that a siege. Oh, you I know? see. Yeah. Once you give them a siege, then it's not like they're going to, dig a well or anything. They're probably too stupid. I'm sorry. Simon to dig a well. Simon to probably dig a well and then plant a bunch of crops and then uh, somehow find a cow and, you know, milk it so that everybody has breakfast. So Simon is the guy you need to eliminate if you really want the saviors You're to- take him out because yeah. he's going to be able to save everybody somehow. Like he's going to grow wheat, make shredded wheat, find a cow, get the milk, give everybody cereal. Like he's that kind of guy. He's, he's a really- intelligent, resourceful guy. Yeah. He'll dig a well, he'll build a house, he'll, uh, he'll, uh, start a mine and then they'll have, uh, you know, they'll dig up iron and then figure out how to forge weapons and bullets and, uh, you know, figure out the secret of saltpeter and how to make black powder. And then they all got muskets. Yeah. And then well, God knows what's going to happen then. Intelligent he'll, dude. He'll build a trebuchet and take them all out. Yeah. You got to take out Simon. You got to take him out. He's, he's, he's the true threat there. Uh, but if I can just really quick go through these again, the governor in Woodbury, Rick tried to do the right thing and it actually kind of did. Uh, so it was the right approach. Terminus, um, again, didn't necessarily want to kill them all, but then they ate Bob and so they had to kill them all. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and to be honest, they, they had to escape too. They were imprisoned there, right? Oh yeah. They were in a car. They were in a train train car. car and, uh, they were... And a bunch of them were on in the slaughter room, ready to be slaughtered and butchered. Yeah. And like three or four characters got hit in the head and their neck slit before we got to, uh, who was on that trough? Rick, Daryl, Glenn, and that other guy who was in a couple episodes. Yeah. And then uh, Judge Carol came in and right. uh, she was the law and took everybody out. She was. And then we get to the wolves and you know, at the end of the day, they were kind of just protecting themselves from the wolves attack. And most of the wolves have happened to end up dead. And now we get to the saviors and the saviors are just so bad and will never, you know, there can never be a society that is, uh, successful unless you are a savior that, you know, the verdict is we got to get rid of them, free the slaves. But, uh, but you know, the saviors as a community have to go. So, to answer the question of morally, have these characters acted the right way over the course of the show? You kind of have to look at this and think, yes, they have. They've done the right thing every time. Now, Rick did give everybody the option to leave Negan, right? He showed up and pointed their weapons and didn't fire and said, hey, look, uh, you can come with us. Mm-hmm. You know, And uh, he gave them the option and they turned it down. So also probably the right move right yeah. like he didn't he didn't kill the people <laughs> without at least giving the opportunity for them to save themselves 
whether it was right. likely or not, he he stood there and he said it and he waited and then he counted to seven. <laughs> yeah. They're all adults. They made their own decisions. They made their bed and now they're going to die in it. That's right. So. They made their bed and they can eat it too. That's right. Um, anyways, I just think it was an interesting breakdown. Thank you, Dan, for sending that in. And uh, it puts all of the sort of moral questions and decisions throughout the course of the show into a slightly different light here. It does. You know, and obviously we have we have years of perspective on, uh, you know, the governor and Terminus and stuff like that, whereas we're still dealing with the saviors. But it is an interesting, uh, is an interesting breakdown anyway, so. I would like to see this information in some kind of infographic. Oh, an infographic would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, if we there's any. try and figure out an infographic. Even uh, add in the uh, the killing stats from uh, from Josh. Yeah, that would be great we've too. we've had infographics in the past on uh, The Walking Dead. I think we need a new one. We have. A moral uh, infographic. A, a morality graphic, yeah. Yeah. So if there are any talented infographic makers out there, uh, get right on that. Yeah, <laughs> or at least uh, a spreadsheet. I would accept a spreadsheet. Well, you know, maybe. <laughs> I like spreadsheets. Infographics are, are nicer to look at. Oh, for you, maybe. For me. Me, I like a good spreadsheet. Oh, God, man. Columns, if, rows, if never... calculations, formulas, uh, you know, conditional formatting based on the values of formulas. Oh, if I never have to see a spreadsheet again in my life, I'll be oh, okay with I it. I love spreadsheets. All right. Well, on that note, you can get back to making your love, you know, your beloved spreadsheets and uh, mm. we're gonna we're gonna end up end the podcast here super thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called in this week it was uh, a super fun feedback show super long feedback show too but that's okay that is awesome uh and we'll be back of course next week uh when we well next monday when we are talking about uh season three episode four and you know, we do want title reads, so I'm going to do my best here to look up the title for next week's episode so that I can actually say it on the air. So if you want to read it, now, if you want to read it, you can. Um, next week's episode is called Some Guy. <laughs> Simon. It's Simon. <laughs> no, you know who I think it is? I think it's um, the guy that uh, Rick and Carl saw in the gas station. I think it's probably that guy. Oh, okay. From the first episode. Anyways, next week. Just week's some guy, you know? Is it, that's right. Is that Zaphod Brooks? He's just this guy. No, that's <laughs> just, just this guy. Yeah, this I know. Guy. I kind of, I on purpose, you know, twisted the quote to meet my needs, but you get the idea. I got, I, I sure did, actually. And I'm glad you caught the, uh, the misquote. He's, yeah, well, I am a uh, hitchhiker's aficionado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that whole series. Okay, anyways, next week is called Some Guy, so if you want to do a title read for that, uh, please send it in. Uh, record yourself, send it in. And before we wrap up here, just a couple of things, a couple of reminders. We do have our Season 8 Record Your Favorite Scene contest underway. In that case, what we want you to do is pick a scene from The Walking Dead, can be your favorite uh, or one you just really, really love, and record it with your friends and family. Do an interpretation of it. It doesn't have to be you know, perfect. It doesn't have to be accurate to the show. It can be whatever you want. It's sort of your spin on it. Uh, but send it in to us. And at the end of the season, Jason and I will pick our favorite and you'll win a wonderful big prize pack. Uh, also, 
this is the month of November and it's the Talking Dead charity drive. So if you are doing some shopping, especially now that we're coming up very close to Black Friday, if you're going to do shopping at Amazon, please, please use our Amazon links when you do so, which you can find at talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. And then every little bit that comes back to us for the month of November is going to be all tallied up and donated to the Canadian Cancer Society, you know, supporting cancer research. So uh, we will, we hope to have a nice big chunk of cash to send their way at the end of the month. So please do that. If you have any questions, send me an email and I can answer them as best I can. But talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon is where you can find those links. Appreciate everyone who has taken part in that for us this month. Um, and I think that's enough for now. Uh, we can talk about other things in the days ahead, but we'll be back on Monday with our recap of season eight, episode four called some guy. So until then find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or on Twitter at talking dead and uh, send any emails to talking at gmail.com. Okay. That's going to wrap up this podcast for this night until next time everyone my name is chris my name is jason thanks for listening later gator hi guys it's glenn from sunny england this is a conversation i had on our sofa this week while watching the walking dead part one so my wife asks me so who's morales again and I say, Morales, back in season one, was in their group. He was part of them. He he helped them come together. And at one point, he decided to go off on his own with his family. So Rick gave him a fighting chance. He gave him a gun. He gave him food. And I think that will show now. Morales will see that humanity in Rick is still there. Realise that Glenn, a friend of his, what the fuck, Daryl? Hi, guys. It's Glenn from sunny England. This is a conversation we had in our sofa while watching The Walking Dead this week, part two. My wife says, so why are Morgan and Jesus fighting? I tell her, Morgan wants to kill the saviours to stop any chance of them coming back and killing a loved one of theirs at a later date. And Jesus wants to take them back as prisoners of war because one day they have to live together. My wife. Well, who died and made Jesus God? Me. Uh, oh, that's really deep. Um, Jesus? Or, or his dad? Hi guys, it's Glenn from sunny England. The conversation had on our sofa this week while watching The Walking Dead Part 3. My wife. Who's that kid? Me. I think he's one of the saviours. I think he was the guy who got told to go indoors last week, the young kid. But Rick's told him that He's going to be all right. If he comes out, gives them the information they need, he'll give him a car, he'll give him a gun. He'll make him safe. And Rick's a man of his word. This kid's the safest. What the fuck, Daryl?